All right, well, hey, y'all. I know y'all at home, but, but I... Hey, y'all. I'm assuming I'm hearing you, even though I can't hear you. All right, welcome to the first social distance gathering of Trailhead Church. Isn't this fun? <laughs> My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. And um, for those of you tuning in on Facebook Live, for those of you tuning in on Vimeo, um, for those few unfortunate souls that we coaxed into actually being in the room so that I have people to look at while I'm actually talking. While you are at a safe, safe six-foot distance from everybody around you, um, thanks for being here, y'all, honestly. Um, I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm super sad to be here without you. The gathering of the church is uh, one of the highlights of my week, and honestly, opening the Word of God with the body of Christ gives me life, and, and um, after such a long week, it really, man, it would have comforted my soul to be with you in person, um, but know that I am with you in spirit, and uh, even as you are with us in spirit, um, I receive that as well. You know, this last week, man, we had daylight savings time, a full moon, Friday the 13th, and now a pandemic. That's a week, y'all. That's a week. 2020 is turning out to be the longest decade of my life, and we're only three months in. Um, this has been something else. But I'll tell you what, I am thankful that at this point, um, in our region, this whole pandemic thing still feels kind of far away, right? It doesn't feel like it's right on our doorstep. It's coming, I mean, I just want to be honest. I want to help prepare our hearts. Um, there are challenging days ahead. Um, but praise God that, uh, that right now we can gather and uh, laugh. And some of y'all are, are eating donuts and drinking coffee um, while I'm up here. So praise God that we have technology like this that allows us to gather virtually in crazy times. Um, I sent out a letter this week that explained why we are taking this step. For some people, this still feels like a drastic step. Some of y'all, you haven't just been plugged in, you haven't really, um, and, and you're like, man, what are we doing, right? There's like, there's like almost no cases, and, and, um, and the reality is uh, what we see as far as reported cases is very deceptive as far as what's actually happening in the spread of this thing, and, um, and the more we educate ourselves, the more we're going to see that, that this is an important and necessary step to love those who are most vulnerable in our community, those that are going to be most susceptible to, to the worst parts of, of, this, of this virus. And, um, and so here's the thing, if you didn't get the letter, if you would like to be on our mailing list, if you would like to receive future updates uh, as we're gathering information, as we're doing things together, because we're, we're, we're not doing things, we're not done doing things together, we're just going to be doing them differently, uh, make sure you get on our mailing list. Because if you didn't get our letter, it's because you're not on our mailing list. All right, so if you want to be on it, just email at us at info at trailheadonline.org. Info at trailheadonline.org, and we will make sure you get plugged in. All right, this week, um, our president uh, declared today to be a national day of prayer, which I think is incredibly appropriate given um, where we are as a nation, to pray for our nation and to pray for our leaders. And so I'm going to ask you now to, to pray with me. We come to you, Father, the creator and redeemer of all things, and remind ourselves that you are a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. 
You never stop loving and you never break your promise. You make sure every story in our lives becomes part of the great story of redemption and restoration that you are telling. Lord, right now, it feels a little bit like we're waiting for a storm to hit and we come to you knowing that you're above this storm. You're not caught in it. In fact, you're on the other side of it waiting for us. There is nothing that takes you off guard. There is nothing that takes you by surprise. You are a loving and faithful God. God, calm our hearts, grow our faith, and in faith lead us to the peace that passes understanding. We ask, Lord, for you to protect our nation from the worst that this virus could bring. We pray for those who are already sick and ask for mercy and comfort and healing. We pray for those who are grieving because they've already lost someone they love. We pray, Lord, that you would meet them in their sorrow. We pray for those in our own community that we know are most vulnerable to the worst aspects of this virus. And we pray for your supernatural hand of protection to be upon them. And we ask, Lord, above all these things, that we use this national trial to open doors for the gospel, that people might hear of and respond to your outlandish love for them, that they might see that you didn't create this suffering, but you did create the solution by suffering for us that we might, in the end, be delivered back to the fullness of life. We pray for our leaders. We pray for President Trump, Vice President Pence, Governor Pritzker. We pray for our senators. We pray for our representatives in the House of Representatives. We pray for our national, regional, and local leaders. Lord, you turn the hand of the mighty in whatever direction you choose. Guide the hands of those with power. That in this time of crisis, they might be wise. That your name might be glorified. And that those who are vulnerable might be protected. We thank you that you are a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Help us to love others even as you have loved us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right, y'all. Um, I was preparing to jump back into the book of Romans this morning um, and was looking forward to it. And, uh, and of course, a few things hijacked my week. And, uh, and, and I realized that toward the end of the week that, that um, this next stage of Romans, even though it's absolutely beautiful, um, wasn't the best thing for this morning. Given the current situation, I decided that it would be a good idea to take this week and to help us stay oriented. There's so much disorienting stuff going on around us. I wanted to look at a passage that spoke directly to that. Once um, in the late 80s, I I jumped in my car. I was in Chicago and I was going back to Dubuque, Iowa, where I was in in college. And and this is back before GPS, right? You got the, the road maps open on the passenger seat and all that sort of stuff. And and I was listening to, I don't know, the Ramones or, or some other uber cool, you know, U2 1980s band or something. And, 
Um, before I knew it, I, I pulled into this city I wasn't familiar with, and I'm like, what is this? And I go inside, and they're like cheese curds on every shelf. I'm like, what? Oh, Madison, Wisconsin, where is this? I didn't even know this was a place. And if you don't know your geography very well, Madison is not on the way to Dubuque from Chicago, okay? I was heading on my way north to Canada, and uh, had I not readjusted my path, I would have ended up in a place that I totally didn't intend to go to, right? How does that happen? How do we lose track of where we are and where we're going? Well, imagine this for a moment. Imagine every single time you pull into a gas station, you fill up your your gas tank, you get back in your car, and you forgot where you were going. And so you, you just set off in a new direction, right? One of the critical jobs of leaders, and I believe one of the critical jobs for pastors in seasons like this, is to become the short term memory of the church, to remind you where we've been, where we're going, and where we are, to orient us in the midst of disorienting times. This passage does that this morning. Some of you are exhausted physically, emotionally. Some of you are are educators. (laughs) Some of you are in leadership, and you've had to weigh the critical decisions um, some of you were, were waiting with your, your bated breath for Pritzker to make the announcement late in the day Friday that changed all of the, the plans. Some of you are at SIUE. Some of your students, you don't know what's happening with your classes. Some of you uh, aren't from the region. You're wondering where you're going to live. Some, some of you are, I mean, there's there are so many. Some of you are parents. <laughs> dealing with the sudden reality that your kids aren't going to school and, and you're like, mm, what am I doing with that? Some of you are homeschoolers and you're like, what? Things changed? Um, some of you are in danger of, uh, of facing financial hardships because you are hourly employees uh, or in other uh, areas of work that, that are going to be impacted as people stop moving and stop shopping and, 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 and you, you know, you know that, that there's vulnerability Listen, this is a season of anxiety. We're an anxious people anyway. I think anxiety is honestly our, our national pastime. We, we really do love to be anxious. But, but in seasons like this, man, it is, it is off, off the chart. We are exhausted by stress at work. We're exhausted by stress at home. We're exhausted by stress on social media, right? You can't even go to the grocery store without feeling like you're about to get mugged, right? You found that really, really nice toilet paper, right? The actual, like the two-ply, not the cheap one-ply that nobody else, the two-ply that has aloe vera in it, and you put it in your cart, and you could just feel the eyes of every person in that store watching you as you walked by, right? You feel like you ought to be packing in order to go buy hand sanitizer or toilet paper, because if you leave your cart, man, it's going to get mugged, right? We are an anxious people, living in anxious times. This morning, I want to remind you of who you are and where we're all going together. I want to look at, at three commands in a specific passage. If you, if you have a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible um, and you're an average American, you have one somewhere on a shelf in your home. Get up and go get it, okay? Now's a good time to do that because this is a good season to know where your Bible is, okay? Uh, so go get it. 
Let's open up to Colossians chapter 3. We're going, to be, we're going to be looking at some principles out of verses 12 through 17. 12 through 17. I'm going to read these out loud for us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verse 14. Verse 14. Take a look at verse 14. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. To understand this command, um, we need to understand the context. So I I just want to take you back to the beginning of the chapter quickly, because Paul sets the stage in verses 1 through 4, right? So look back up to the top of the page, and just look with me at verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, the, the structure here in Greek would mean since, Believer in Christ, if you've believed in Jesus, this isn't an if, this is a since, right? This is a a true condition, right? If you've believed in Christ, since, believer, you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. These simple four verses um, are a beautiful summary of the truths we've been studying in the book of Romans together. As we've been considering those those profound words we've looked at, redemption, propitiation, uh, imputation, Uh, justification, right? This, This idea that Jesus was our substitute, died in our place, and rose again. And when we believe in him, um, his death becomes our death, and his resurrection becomes our resurrection, right? Since you have been raised with Christ. How have you been raised with Christ? How did, how have you died even though you're alive? Because when you believed in Jesus, your sin was imputed to Christ, It was credited to him, and he died under the weight of its penalty. He died as your substitute in your place. He died your death, and you died with him. When he died, he died for your sin's penalty, bearing the weight of your guilt and your shame. He he died to free you from its power, to progressively set you free into this new freedom you have in Christ. And ultimately, he died to set you free from its presence. There will come a day when it says, when you appear with him in his glory, you will be completely set free from from these shackles that bind you to, to the suffering you inflict on yourself. 
right? You died with Christ. And because you died with Christ, it says you also have been raised with Christ. Your sin was given to him, and his righteousness has been given to you. You are now covered in the very righteousness and the glory of Christ. And as a result, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You want to talk about security. Your life, your life isn't hidden behind closed doors. Your life isn't hidden behind social barriers of distancing. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when he appears, when the second advent comes, when our Lord, he came the first time and he's coming again, and when he appears, you will be revealed. That word means revealed or displayed. You will appear with him. You will be displayed in glory. Believer in Christ, this is your reality. Believer in Christ. This may not be your daily experience. In fact, I guarantee you it's not because you're on the journey between here and there. But that's where we're going. That's the destination of this thing. That's the end of the story. It's already been told. It's already been written. That's, that's the end of the story. That is the glorious reality of who you are and where you're going. Paul is saying, look, this is who you are. And this is where you're going. Now let us actively engage to make it more and more of our daily experience. Right? It's true of you. It has been declared true by God. And when God looks at you, he sees the very glory of Christ. That is absolutely true because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you, credited to you, given to you. But you live in this age where you are not yet what you will be and you are progressively being transformed into the freedom that will be yours. Paul is saying, engage it. And in this passage, he engages certain language. He says, put off and put on, right? So, so when he says put off, he's, he's using this imagery of, of, of taking off clothes, right? Put off these things that were, that were part of that dead man, part of that old self, and put on these things that are now in line with, with who you are now because of the work of Christ, right? It's like taking off and putting on clothes. Lazarus was raised from the dead after three days, and the first thing Jesus said after he hops out of the tomb is, Take the, take the clothes off, right? He's, he's wrapped in, in, in the, 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 the garbs of death. Take them off. Take them off. Put on his new clothes. Put on the clothes of resurrection. In verses 5 through 11, which we didn't read, and I'm not going to, but, but when you read through that, what you're going to find is, is Paul says, put to death or put off in multiple places, because that's kind of the same thing. Put to death these desires that would enslave you. Put off these behaviors that are, that are part of your old man, part of who you were in death, right? Your old identity that needs to be taken off, right? We need to put off the, the sins that used to rule our lives and define our identity. Anger, wrath, malice, sexual immorality, impurity. There's a long list there. Put them off, Paul says. Put the desires to death. Mortify those things like grave clothes put those things away but here's the perpetual problem of the christian life how do you do that when you're exhausted and you're anxious and you're sleep deprived and you're at the grocery store and that dude in cargo shorts and green stained white tennis shoes steals the last roll of toilet paper right out of your hand 
how do you not be filled with wrath? Right? How do you do that? How do you put off the old man? I'll tell you how. By putting on the new. You put off the old by putting on the new. You don't just put things away, you replace them. You put away your old identity, the one that has died, by putting on your new identity in Christ. And the single most important thing you can do to put on this new identity, according to Paul, is to put on love. So when he says, put on love, above all these things, put on love, what he's saying is that this is the single most important thing that you need to do to move into the freedom of your new identity in Christ. And of course, this means that you need to put on your love for others. Right? When you read the context, it's very clear. It's in terms of relationship with others. You, you need to put on love for that grumpy shopper. You need to put on love for your hyperactive kids. You need to put on love for Mr. Incessant Coffer who refuses to cover his mouth. You need to put on love, right? But how do you do that? How do you love the unlovable? Huh. Well, when you put on love, it's not just about putting on your love for others. It's about putting on the love you've received from Christ, right? In order, in order for you to love others when your tank is empty, you need to have your tank refilled. And the only way to have your tank refilled is to receive love. You need to fill your tank. To put on love isn't just a command to love others. It is a command for you to renew your experience of being loved. Look back up at verse 13. Actually, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, etc. Put on then, and then he parentheses. Right? He's like, hey, let me just remind you who you are as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Notice where he starts. He doesn't say put on these things so that you will be chosen. Put on these things so you will be holy. Put on these things so you will be beloved. No, he says, put on these things because you are chosen. Put on these things because you are holy. Put on these things because you are loved. You are raised in Christ. You are covered in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now dress like it. Dress like it. Put on your new identity. Let your life be so filled with this reality that it, that it becomes your garment. Don't put on these behaviors to earn God's love. Put them on because you are loved. God has put his love on you. Man, run back to the fountain of grace. Every day. Every hour, every minute, run back to the fountain of grace and renew your experience of the love of God. Drink deeply. Let it undo your pride. Let it quiet your anger. Let it give you courage to your fear. You are loved. Listen to me. You are loved right now by the God of all creation. The God who spoke the universe into existence loves you. He not only knows you, he loves you, he sacrificed for you, he bought you, he covered you. 
Your life is hidden with Christ in God because you are his treasure. Because you are in Christ and Christ is God's treasure. And when he comes back, he's not only revealing his glory, he's revealing yours. Let this be the first and most important thing you know about yourself every single day. So put on love. Put on the love you've received and then from that learn to put on love for others so that they might receive, right? Now let's look at the next command in verses 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive when you are exhausted. And you end up face-to-face with another exhausted, grumpy, sad, angry person. Put on a compassionate heart. When your spouse selfishly ignores a chore or takes the last piece of cake or uses the last square of toilet paper, put on kindness. When that person on social media starts posting really stupid stuff, again put on humility and meekness when your kids are going stir crazy and you're starting to go crazy put on patience when you feel unseen and unvalued used and forgotten put on forgiveness in other words put away the sin that would grip your heart, resentment, anger, selfishness, pride, and instead put on the righteousness that is yours in Christ. Again, how do we do this? Above all, put on love. If you want to be able to give love, you have to receive love, right? Going back to the love God has for you so that you can then be free to love others. Going back to the forgiveness God has given you so you can be free to forgive others. You have been made rich. If you want to richly bless others, you need to keep going back to the riches that God has given you. You need to fill your heart over and over and over again with the love that God has for you so that you can turn around and then give that love to others and your tank doesn't run dry. Put on the heart attitude of those richly blessed and able to richly bless. So put on love. And having put on love, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness. One last command of verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And then a second one that I'm going to tie with it, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom. There's an interesting switch here, right? You put on compassion. You put on kindness. You put on forgiveness. You, you, you put on love. But you don't put on peace. You let the peace of Christ rule your hearts while you're thankful. See, peace isn't something you put on. It's the result of what you put on. 
you're pursuing peace, but what you need to realize is that peace is the result of putting on love. We put on love and then we let peace rule our hearts. You can't just decide to have peace. Right? You can't just decide, the peace of God is going to rule my heart. Right? When you're struggling with anxiety, have you ever committed yourself to no longer being anxious? How did that work for you? Right? It's like, I'm anxious. I will stop being anxious. I am now more anxious because I'm anxious about being anxious. Well, but, you know what I'm saying? Like it just amplifies. Right? You cannot put on peace. Peace is a byproduct of putting on love. You don't defeat anxiety by willpower. You can't white-knuckle your way out of your exhaustion. You defeat anxiety by letting love calm, comfort, and strengthen you. Peace is the byproduct of letting the right thing rule your heart. I used to take field trips with my, back in my previous life when I was in education. I used to take these, these groups of students down to um, Marble Hill, uh, which is outside of uh, Cape Girardeau, southern Missouri. There was a, a retirement community that I would take the kids to down there. And, uh, and I really became very fond of, of some of the people we would visit every year in this, in this retirement community. And, um, and so uh, we would sit down and we would talk uh, with them. And, and I remember once my wife and I were sitting and, and talking at this table with an older couple. I'll call him Stan. I don't remember his name. Lauren probably does. Um, but, but he was sitting there and, and he had the paper out in front of him and he was telling us about his previous life. He was a kind of a cowboy and, and he loved horses and, and, and one of the things that he hated most about this new phase of life and he just couldn't get settled. Even though, even though the place they were in was super comfortable and they were well taken care of and, and they had a lot of freedoms and a lot of joys, every single day he just found himself sapped of, of joy and kind of filled with sorrow and some angst. Why? Because every single day he missed his horses. And he would open up the newspaper and he would read, uh, he would go through the classifieds and, and he would, oh, so-and-so selling his horse and, and oh, look at this horse is available. And, oh, that was an old nag. And, and every single week he's just going through the articles and, and, and looking at what's available and, 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 and mourning, right? He's like, I just can't get over it. I just can't stop feeling so anxious about this. And his wife, who had been sitting there simply quiet alongside her, suddenly, side him, suddenly reached out and suddenly grabbed the paper and, uh, and in a very strong, clear voice, looked at him and said, uh, put down the paper, Stan. Put down the paper. Mm. He was saying that he was so tired of being sad, and yet he kept feeding his sorrow by filling his mind with the very thing that was giving him sorrow and anxiety. Put down the paper. The state of our hearts is the byproduct of what rules our minds. Where you fix your eyes is where you anchor your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. And you do this by, by putting on love, but also by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Those are, I think, two very Similar things, you, you renew your experienced love of God by going back to the Word of God and letting it remind you of the love of God, right? It, it let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. This has been a rough week. It's been a long week. I've been immersed in articles about coronaviruses, about COVID-19, about Italy, and Iran, China, the U.S., and the more I read, um, 
the more that filled my mind. And, and honestly, I started feeling a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of sad stories out there. And I'm starting to hear personal stories. Friends that are losing loved ones. I felt that building up within me. And I had to wrestle with that all week. Late in the week, I decided to change the sermon topic and so uh, shifted over to this passage. Um, and, uh, and so instead of slow cooking a, a, a sermon over the course of the week, which is what I like to do, I had to microwave it. Um, I had to basically write this thing in, in 24 hours. And so I'm sitting down last night in my exhaustion trying to, to frame the sermon and write it out. And I keep getting distracted because there are so many new articles. There's so many new things coming out, so many new, I mean, every, like within every 24 hours are radical new developments of what's happening across our country. And last night I'm sitting there and I'm reading a new article and, I'm, and, I'm, and I feel Lauren's hand on my neck. She had walked into the room behind me and she just quietly said, Steve, put down the paper. Put down the paper. What a good reminder. Peace is a byproduct of setting our minds on who we are, where we're going, and how much we're loved. Peace is the byproduct of letting the love, putting on the love of God, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Anchor your heart in the reality that your life is hidden with Christ in God. And by doing so, you will let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Above all, put on love. I want to close by looking at one tiny little phrase in verse 14. To kind of wrap this up in verse 14. The one we've been kind of orbiting around and above all these things put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony in perfect harmony this world is filled with noise our hearts are filled with noise our culture our cul-de-sacs our community our grocery stores are filled with the noise of anger and greed and fear and anxiety and jealousy and ugliness and 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 all of this noise this cacophony is anything but a harmony right listen to me y'all love has the power to cut through the noise with beauty love doesn't silence the noise by getting louder it overrules the noise by making a single beautiful note in a room filled with discord and competing noise that quietly and powerfully aligns each of the other chords so that they slowly start to harmonize with the beautiful note Think about how impactful it is when you're in the midst of anxiety when someone comes with a calm hand of love and just reminds you you're loved. Think about how powerful it is when, when you are afraid and somebody comes and just reminds you you are secure. Think about how powerful it is when you are lonely 
and you get a reminder that someone not only sees you, but values you. Love makes a clear, beautiful note that has the power to silence the chaos and bring the discord into a beautiful harmony. We live in an exhausted, anxious, frustrated society. Let's be people of love. Let's let our light shine like a beacon on the hill. Let's let our hope amaze people so that, as Peter says, they might ask us about the hope that resides within us. They might be like, you're different. What's Let the love of God so anchor your soul that wherever you go, you become a source of new harmony. You're the one who is the presence of this beautiful harmonizing note that brings comfort, that quiets fear, that silences the chaos. When others are ugly, share the beauty of Christ. When others are afraid, share the peace of Christ. When others are greedy, share the generosity of grace, right? Like very practically, when you're in the grocery store and everybody's competing and everything else, offer somebody a smile. Slow down and actually be fully present with the people that you're around. When, when your neighbor runs out of toilet paper, offer them a roll or a case if you have a garage full. Right? Fear leads us to hide and to hoard. Love. Love leads us to generosity and grace. Let's be generous with love. I encourage you, church, be the church. We aren't gathering. But we're still a community on mission. Our mission statement hasn't changed. We are walking in Christ as a community on mission, and that is just as true this morning as it was last week. Be the church and carry out the mission of love. Whether you're out shopping or trying to shop because it's chaotic, whether you're, you're trying to keep your kids from killing each other or navigating tricky emotional turbulence in your home or struggling with loneliness or fear or anger, remind yourself, remind yourself, your greatest debt has already been paid. Your greatest problem has already been solved. Your greatest blessing has already been given. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let that sink in and let that seep out. Let's be a people who are deeply loved and radiate love and compassion and gratitude to those that are around us, richly sharing with others the love that God has richly shared with us. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. I'm going to invite you, um, for those of you who are at home, this is very unusual, and, and um, normally communion is, is, for the most part, reserved for when the church gathers. But we are gathered, just in a really unconventional way. And so I'd encourage you, if you have um, things at home, like bread, 
and uh, I don't know, some kind of colored liquid. Um, share communion with us. And if you're not prepared to do it right now, that's fine. Just do it with us in spirit. Because it's a powerful way for us to remind ourselves of the profound love of God. Let me pray for us. And then uh, I will introduce communion. Let me, let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are for us. I thank you that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And as chaotic and, 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 as, and as bad as this world can, can, can be, as, as, as scary as it can be, as, as, as much as it at times seems like everything is broken, Lord, it is no different than it has always been. We're just more aware of it. We just see it because it's more in our face, Lord. There is suffering all over the world, and there has been suffering throughout human history because we unleashed suffering into the world. But we thank you that you loved us enough to step into that suffering, to step into this broken world, that you might become the epicenter of redemption and restoration, that you might absorb our pain, that you might pay the price of our guilt, that that you might might, uh, be covered with our cosmic treason die in our place so that we might die with you so that when you rose again you might invite us into the glorious righteousness that we could never earn, claim or achieve on our own we thank you Lord that that is who we are we thank you that that is where we're going and we thank you that that is our identity as we get to walk in this season of current darkness and comfort our hearts, embolden our faith. Let us recognize, Lord, that we have been, as my my friend so aptly put it, training for this. This. That we might be ambassadors for Christ. That we might be those who are loved and reach out in love to others. That we might be the called out people of God calling people to the greater kingdom, to the greater hope, to the greater Savior. Comfort us and embolden us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.